The scripture this morning is taken from Psalm 118, verse 1 to 2, then verse 14 to 24. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. The Lord is my strength and my defense, and he has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done many things. I will not die but live, and will proclaim the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open me Open for me the gates of the righteous, and I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you have answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done done this this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. This is the word of the Lord. Wow. Did you feel that? Man, thank you. I love when scripture comes alive like that. And I, 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 I have to say to you that there's sometimes when, when someone does something like that and uses their gifts and, and I go, I don't have to preach, right? Because that preached, I mean, that preached, except on this day, I have to say something. The story doesn't end with he is dead. The story does not end in darkness. It is not the final. It's not, it's not curtains. It's not closed. It, it, it is, in fact, the, the light that breaks through. The stone that the boulders have rejected has become the cornerstone, the living stone, the stone upon which you and I can build our lives in God. Thanks be to God. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And to which all God's people must say, Amen. (laughs) I'm done. Uh, I think I want to share just very briefly this morning, and uh, you can hold me to it, because I think this morning the Word of God is spoken not only through word but, and song, but through sacrament. We are going to celebrate exactly what it means to be Christian. To be Christian is to recognize that we are dying to ourselves. We are saying, not my will, but in fact God's will for our lives, and we are giving and surrendering ourselves completely to Him. To be Christian is to recognize that we are powerless to save ourselves, that any human endeavor, whether it be through uh, enlightenment or learning or knowledge in and of itself, is not enough to transform us into the people that God desires us to be. That no religious system, however good it may be, is sufficient in and of itself to bring about the life that only can come through Jesus Christ. Hence, we as Christians acknowledge the dangers in becoming religious without knowing the true source that brings life. 
We appreciate all the ways in which God helps us to understand what he has done. We appreciate the word that is being preached today, and all God's people says amen. We thank you for the word that was preached today, for which I say thankful. We thank you to to Kelly and the worship team who spoke those words and put those words on our lips. But my friends, the word has become flesh, and the word has dwelt amongst us, and we have seen the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And for this, Christians throughout history has given God all praise and all glory. Thanks be to him. Our portion of scripture this morning ends with the verse that says, This is the day that the Lord has made. We must rejoice and be glad in it. This scripture is on the tongue of the psalmist. The psalmist, the scripture tells us, has been experiencing persecution. People are after him. People are coming for him. I think one of the challenges I have with biblical text is that I can't adequately relate to the circumstances in in, in biblical figures' lives at times, this being one of them. His life is literally threatened. Uh, You know, it's, it's sometimes hard for me to get there. But the scripture teaches us that the psalmist has experienced something that has forever changed him. That on this particular moment, in his particular life, God has done a great work. God has delivered him. God has set him free. In fact, if you were to read the psalm closely, you would realize that the psalmist begins with this call to all to acknowledge that God is faithful, that his love is enduring, and God God's love is demonstrated in the psalm through the way in which he brings deliverance because the psalmist could not do it for himself. He has joy, and I think this morning the reason the psalmist has joy is because he knows that he can count upon the steadfast love of God. The scripture that we read this morning uses the phrase enduring love. I think the NRSV, which is another translation, uses the phrase uh, his his faithful love or, or his steadfast love. The original word in the Hebrew is the word hesed. Hesed has this, this tone to it. It is about a covenant, a, a, a love that God has said cannot be changed, cannot be withdrawn, will not be withheld, even when people don't reciprocate and love him. It is not a conditional love, but it is a complete love, a full love, a love that says, I bind myself to you, even at times where you do not want to be bound to me. A love that says, I will forgive you even when you had strayed, Israel. A love that says, this love knows no end, no bound. You want to know why the psalmist is happy in Psalm? 118 is because God's steadfast, unfailing love was there for him in the moments he needed it and even in the moments where he did not think he needed it. Listen, church, the reason we celebrate Resurrection Sunday is because the same love that God had for the psalmist and for the people of Israel is the very same covenantal love he has for us today. And so I know you're all just on the inside so blessed right now. You can't can't contain yourself, right? I was thinking about this. How do I bring this to perspective in my own life? I think I think the closest I can come to understanding such love is, is that touch of divine love that God gives you when you have children. It is not the only place you can have that. It can be when you meet your spouse. 
It can be when you meet that person who, who absolutely rocks your world. You can say amen. <laughs> We're not shy to talk about love here in this church. But you know, there's something about the steadfast love that I think we have, to, we have to grapple with because we don't see it in culture. We don't see it in society. We don't even see it in some religious systems. You know, a religious system can tell you that you must do things simply because it is the right thing to do. But everything about Christianity is driven by the steadfast love of God that says, I am committed to redeem, to restore, to deliver, and to save. Why? For God so loved this world. For God so loves you and me. Oh, if, if my children teaches me this on a daily basis, I, I can get so mad at them. In fact, the psalmist, he, he reflects on how God had to correct him and chastise him. You know, to think of love without discipline is to not think of love biblically. You know, the reason we say no to our children is because we love them. Amen? The reason that God may say no to you is because He loves you. But there's this deep love of God that is so much more than just the emotional. It's so much more than just making us feel happy. It is about a love that says, I will be with you even when you are being persecuted. Folks, we were talking this morning in our Bible study about this, and I said, don't you find it hard to relate to the psalmist because he's, 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 he's literally being pursued. They, they literally want to kill him. And we started to reflect about our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world who, who for, him, for them, this is not just theology, my friends. These are not just platitudes. They are literally giving their lives because they believe in this God, this God of faith. There is something incredibly important to recognize that when the psalmist says what he says, he's not a pastor standing behind a pulpit giving you a word in Western Canada where we are so blessed and so privileged. He is a man who knows what it means to believe even when such belief may cost him his life. Hmm. He is joyous because he knows that God truly loves. And God's love is not just words. God's love is presence. God is with him in the circumstances. I don't know what circumstances you face today on Resurrection Sunday, but can I say this? The cross is empty. <laughs> You know, the power of God has, has brought Jesus back from the dead. And you know what we believe as Christians? We believe that very same resurrection power now resides in us through the power of His Holy Spirit. That in fact, it is right for us to believe this. That no power in this world, no circumstance in this world, no disappointment in this world, nothing that comes against you is greater than the power of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ that is at work within you. My friends, not even death can take that away. And for this, God's people say, Amen. <laughs> Thanks be to God. Not even in death can it be taken from us. This joy, this power comes from God. This deliverance comes from him. But I want to close. And I know you are surprised. But sometimes less is more. Not next Sunday, but this Sunday. Did someone just say amen? <laughs> you know, it's one thing to, to give thanks for the blessings of God or the deliverance of God or the provision of God. But I think the psalmist brings an important point to bear. He, 
he concludes his psalm by pointing to the reason for joy. He says it is not just in God's provision for us, which we ought to be thankful for. So if God blessed you, and God has given you things, and he has given you health, and he has given you a, a handsome husband like Ken Shelley, you need to thank God for them, for that. You do. I know you do. Uh, if God has provided for you, and, and you have a job, and you have health, and you have family, that is wonderful provisions. But you know, the greatest joy for the psalmist ought to be the greatest joy for us. It is, in fact, God himself. For to worship him is not simply to worship him for his benefits. It is not simply to worship him for his blessings. It's to worship him because he is worthy of all worship. You know, uh, the, the scripture that, that I, I want to conclude with says this, that the stone, I think it's verse 22, that the boldest rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our, in our sight. Now, I know that for you biblical people, literate people, and perhaps there are people here who don't know the scriptures of the Bible, and you're perhaps not even Christian, that's fine. I, I share this for your sake. That when we Christians read that particular text, we jump to who? Jesus, right? And we remember the references in the New Testament to Jesus interpreting the Scripture in light of himself. He's the, he's the stone that others rejected, but he would become the cornerstone. But I think it's helpful for us to recognize that throughout Scripture, this is the narrative that keeps repeating itself, that in fact God takes that which is rejected and makes it not only acceptable but powerful. That in fact this is, this is the very narrative of Easter, is that that which is thrown away is taken by God and redeemed and restored and brought to life. One story that comes to my mind that is quite exciting is the story of Joseph. Joseph, the apple of his father's eye. Anybody like that? Want to raise their hand? Apple of your father's eye? You know that being the apple of your father's eye also comes with pain. Especially if you have siblings. Parents, be careful how we show affection. Equality matters <laughs> with our children. And so his father showed him great affection. He had many brothers, far more brothers than any of us should feel comfortable with having. And his father sends him out to his brothers who are on the fields attending sheep, and he has to pursue them. They've moved on. And when, when they see him coming, they think to themselves, you know what, we're going we're gonna to get rid of this of this." This liked boy, this, this favored one. But for one brother who says, let's not do that, and so they devise a plan, you know the story. They fake his death and they sell him to merchants. The merchants take him to Egypt. He's sold to Potiphar. Potiphar quickly realizes that this Joseph has amazing abilities. He's, he's a dreamer, yes, but he has leadership potential. I always say that leaders emerge long before anybody says you should be a leader. They just have that in them, and that happens with him. And so what happens is he's put in charge of Potiphar's house. But oh, just as you think the story is getting better, it gets terribly worse. Potiphar's wife has an eye for Joseph. Joseph must have been an attractive guy, kind of like me. And so she has an eye for him, wants him, not right, married, fidelity matters, Praise God. Okay, let's get a better amen on that one. <laughs> she devises a lie. She lies about him. 
He ends up being thrown in prison. And there's where the story gets really hard. Here is the stone that the builders have rejected. Look, he's rejected by his family. Now he found favor. Now he's rejected by the one who has given him favor. He's in the prison. He is now at the end of all things in his life. And there in the prison are two people, the cupbearer of the Pharaoh of the land of Egypt and the baker, the chief baker of the king of Egypt are in the cell and they have dreams that they can't understand and it just so happens that Joseph has this unique ability to interpret dreams and so he interprets their dreams they are blown away he I think he's in prison for two years that's a long time to be in prison And when they return to and they are freed, they are in the presence of of the Pharaoh and the Pharaoh has these ridiculous dreams that none of his seers and his wise men can interpret. And then they, they get this thought, oh, we know a guy. He's really good. If they can interpret your dreams, this guy can. And they call for Joseph. Joseph goes, interprets the dreams. By the way, the dreams are not fun to interpret because it speaks about famine. It speaks about what's going to happen to the land. But it helps the king to prepare for what is to come. And you know what happens to Joseph? From being thrown to the lions, literally. From being cast out. From being rejected by family and even those who had once given him favor. He's restored to being the overseer for the king of the land of Egypt. Do you know throughout scripture, the same narrative repeats itself that the people who seem to be unlikely to be the ones that matter becomes the one that matter. It becomes true throughout every scripture you read in the old and into the new. The very stone the boldest rejected has indeed become the cornerstone. It is true of the psalm and it is most significantly true of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As I shared this this morning in our Bible study, Pastor Jeff, I said I was going to anonymously refer to him as a wise biblical scholar once told me. But he made this point. He said, Stu, isn't it true that often the greatest treasures don't look like treasures. Isn't it often true that perhaps we could look at a church like ours, and, and I mean, our building's nice. We have stained glass windows again. And uh, it's a wonderful facility. Perhaps from the outside, our building doesn't look too bad, but from a culture's perspective, the church is not, it's not that exciting, is it? I mean... It, It's kind of the stone in our culture that the builders are rejecting. Are you tracking with me? Let's personalize that. Not only the church, but perhaps this faith that that, that many look at and say, why? Why? But there's 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 a story in the New Testament that says... But the kingdom of God is so valuable, my friends, that, that when a man finds out that it's buried in a field somewhere, he sells everything he has and he, he buys the whole field, Brenda. Because this narrative that is told in Scripture is that God takes that which seems to be unappealing and makes it his very means of victory. Huh. Something beautiful something good 
you know, I, 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 I want you, I want you to, to, to hear this. He has taken something, the cross, which represents the most horrific torture, the most brutal way of execution, and not only a symbol of Roman might and brutality, uh, but an embarrassment to anyone who was so uh, murdered. And he took that cross and redeemed it in such a way that no longer do we have to live as if this world has no true meaning and purpose and that everything ends when we die, but we have a hope that transcends the grave. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Thanks be to God. This morning, I, um, I am done. It is finished. I think we need to have drama every Sunday. It gives me revved up, i got to tell you. And on this day, it's so fitting that we celebrate um, the life that God has given people in our church. Uh, in just a moment, I'm going to come back out in my baptismal garb and uh, invite Lisa and Louise to come. And as Kelly comes to lead us in this song, um, it's important that you understand just a couple of things. One, baptism is a sacrament that bears witness to a testimony that we believe in God and that we have placed our life in His care and in His will. The very symbolism of baptism is that as a person is submerged into the water, that they are testifying to us, the believing community, that whatever life, whatever I uh, defined them before, whatever was their source of value, whatever they were living for before, no longer defines them now. That in fact, when they, are risen, when they are brought out of the water, they are brought out as new creation to whom uh, we give God all the thanks this morning. They are literally saying through this very act that I have surrendered my will. I belong wholeheartedly to Him. What a wonderful sacrament. And I pray this morning that as we participate, you would not simply watch, but that you would pray, that you would celebrate, and that you would give God thanks. God bless you.